Cardini's Media. So the Cobblers gave the Grecians a shoeing at Wembley. Coming up, we'll hear from their captain. He's good. Meanwhile, in the Championship, it's tight at the top and tighter at the bottom. We'll also look ahead to the League One playoffs and praise Derby County, question mark. These really are unprecedented times. Coming at you harder than a Mitro elbow, this is the Totally Football League Show. Hi, listener. Thanks for joining us this week. Plenty to talk about across all three tiers of the EFL, as usual. I'm Matt Davis-Adams, joined from the comfort of their own homes by my duplet of dulcet dandies. First up, in the red corner, the former Arsenal Southend, Stevenage and Moore winger, now the go-to man for tactical analysis, it's Adrian Clark. <laughs> that actually is me. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> also on board, fresh from Wembley, name an EFL club and there's a good chance he played for them. How are you doing, Sam Parkin? I'm on great form, Matt. Good to speak to you, pal. Good. Great form. Nice to hear. Right. Um, I'm fairly sure that no other podcast has gone big on quizzes lately. So as a new intro icebreaker feature, I thought I'd ask you a question each on a random game you've played in. Uh, if you get it right, the prize is awarded in kudos. If you get it wrong, you go without pay for today's show. Uh, hopefully you <laughs> chaps have a better recall of your own careers than Carlo Ancelotti does of Luke Garbutt's. Cool. Adrian, you're first up. Your question is this, and this part of the pod is brought to you in association with Soccer Base. On the 18th of August 1998, you plundered a stoppage time goal to give Southend a 1-0 win at Gillingham in the League Cup, brackets 2-0 on aggregate. Which former Arsenal goalkeeper slash teammate did you score past? (laughs) I really don't know. Um, That's too easy, I reckon I'd get that. Play for Gillingham. Uh, It wasn't Vince, was it? Was it Vince Bartram? It certainly was. Sam, was that who you were thinking of? Yeah, I would have stolen. (laughs) (laughs) Right, well, this is your question, Sam. Like Clarkie, you also scored in the League Cup. The goal in question came during your loan at Northampton back in 01, a 3-1 defeat at then Premier League Middlesbrough. Borough had a Champions League winner on their bench that night. Who was he? That's so much harder than Adrian. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know. No idea. I'll go for... Oh, Ravenelli. Incorrect. Clarky, do you want to steal it? I didn't even listen to the question. Sorry. Switched off. Okay. I zoned out. 2001, <laughs> wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, I'll give you a clue. I named my first car after him. Franz. Car. No. No. Oh, clever, but no. It was Jonathan <laughs> no Greening. Um, it was a green uh, Fiat Punto. So. <laughs> oh, my God. Who come up with that? Green in play for Middlesbrough. Famously won the Champions League without playing a minute in the competition. That's basic stuff. That is unbelievably (laughs) tough. We're going to have to, honestly, we're going to have to stop doing these quizzes because I I just seem to always win. (laughs) Right, Unbelievable. I'll see if I can wait it the other way for now. Jonathan (laughs) Greening. That was fun, I thought, but, but let's crack on with things. League One has a new member. You're listening to the Totally Football League show in association with William Hill. Morton. Got Smith up with him this time. Looks as though he might have been fouled, but play goes on with Marshall in possession. And there is the goal that will seal this final, scored by Sam Hoskins, and will seal Northampton's place in League One next season. So Monday night saw the first competitive match played behind closed doors at Wembley as Exeter and Northampton faced off for a place in League One next season. No fans turned up and only one team did too as Town took City to the cleaners winning 4-0. And Northampton midfielder Nicky Adams hitting the nail on the head on Twitter. He said, what a special night to cap off this season. Things like that don't happen without having a top set of lads. At Skybet League One, here we come, baby. Three praise emojis, three football emojis, at NTFC, blue heart emoji, shoe emoji, army. Um, which I think sums up how we were all feeling about it. Sam, you were there for Quest. What what was uh, what was the, the daylight from a broadcaster's point of view? You had to go through temperature checks and, and bring your own food and all that kind of caper, did you? Yeah, it was... It was quite eerie, actually, when the game got underway, um, given the magnitude of the, the fixture. Um, yeah, it's bizarre. I've not got used to it. I've done a few live games now, and it's a little bit peculiar. You feel a little bit on edge, as everyone does in the in the world at the moment. So not ideal, but great to be at Wembley, great to be a small part of it, and lovely to be home half an hour after the final whistle, straight into my car, onto the North Circular. Bosh, 
That is one of the, the positives of all this, I suppose. <laughs> um, Adrian, last week we, we lavished praise on Keith Curl & Co. Uh, we ought to do it again now. His first promotion as a manager, uh, what a job he's done at Sixfields. Bottom half finish last season. This year, promotion and their best FA Cup run in 16 years. I think it was, um, was it Hannibal who used to love it when a plan came together in, in the A-team? But this was a really good example of that, wasn't it? Yeah, great reference. Um, yeah, it was. He signed a lot of experience experience last summer made made big changes and it's paid off and also obviously that the, the recruitment of Morton up top on loan from West Bromwich Albion was it looks a masterstroke doesn't it because in the key, key moments that mattered he delivered across the playoffs and of course prior to that you know in the way that Northampton got themselves into the into the top seven so so yeah br- a brilliant campaign for, for him personally and, and the team was sensational I thought on the day just backed up what they what they produced uh, in the semi final at Cheltenham and and I do feel that they were so good in that particular match that that the momentum was almost bound to to carry over and and I do feel that Exeter were, were intimidated by by Northampton. Well, before we got started here, we caught up with somebody who is now a League One footballer from Northampton. It's their captain, almost nominative determinisms, Charlie Goode. Charlie, firstly, how, how useful was it to get to the final so quickly after that brilliant second leg against Cheltenham? Because it, it meant that you were able to, to carry the momentum on from that game into the final, didn't it? Yeah, I think that's um, a very important important part of it, really. Obviously, when, when, you, when you win a game like we did against Cheltenham, you just want to get straight back out there and, and continue and do it again, really. So I think in normal circumstances, it might have been a, a bit of a longer wait for the final. Um, but yeah, this one... Um, paid off for us and uh, yeah we managed to get the job done uh, on Monday. Obviously a highlight of your career Charlie but but it was missing this the supporters. What was it like playing at Wembley without anybody there? It's such a vast arena. It must have been really pronounced that that it was just you guys there. Yeah it was very very strange obviously when you walk out before the warm up um, there was no one there and that's probably quite normal but when you do come out for for the actual game obviously you sing the national anthem it was it was just a strange feeling but I guess the we played two games of um, of massive importance before that, so we were used to the surroundings, and we knew either way it was a big occasion for us, and, and we wanted to get the job done. Yeah, huge congratulations on the performance. I think it was one of the outstanding playoff final displays from from a team. Clearly, you imposed yourself just as you had on on Cheltenham from set pieces and and in the air. I just wanted to ask you, in terms of preparation, how how long do you practice? Uh, set plays, corners, wide free kicks, your long throws, of course. Does it form, you know, a large percentage of your training sessions or not? Because you are very, very good at it. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, to be honest, it's not really, we don't practice it um, as much as you think. The day before a game is normally set pieces, shape, that's the sort of things we go over. But we, we go into detail, we have many different sort of routines for each set piece and everyone knows like their individual movements. So yeah, I'll say, it's, it's, it, as you say, the way we play a very direct style is a very important part of our game. And um, I'd say if, if we do one part of a set piece wrong, we def- we definitely get told about it. <laughs> Charlie, I was there on Monday. I thought it was an exceptional performance. I thought you were magnificent. I particularly enjoyed your driving run down the left wing with about 20 minutes to go. That must have been a highlight, along with the, the long throws, etc. Um, your manager spoke in the build-up to the Cheltenham second leg about watching the Arsenal 89 DVD and, and various other bits of motivational tactics. Uh, can you let us in on anything you did pre-final? Was there any specific team meetings or videos that you watched? I probably, I think going into the game, we probably expected to get something something similar. I think that's what came to the manager's head and the Arsenal game that we watched was, was very, very helpful going into the Cheltenham one. But the game that inspired us, we actually watched back the Cheltenham game and we watched little the little pieces of that, um, obviously cut down from from one of the guys and just looking at the way we went about it that night, that inspired us and we, we showed what we're all about. And um, I'd say we, we probably saved our best two performances of the season for the most important time. So, uh, yeah, I think that Cheltenham game probably was a turning point because a lot of people wrote us off. But as a group of players, we really did believe. And um, say after that game, winning that 3-0, I think a lot of people probably fancied us going into that final. Yeah, it was absolutely superb. I thought the front two were brilliant again. So hardworking, weren't they, uh, Oliver and, uh, and Morton? Obviously, you'd love to keep him for next season, possibly. As for next year, 
do you think you're going to be seen as a team no one really wants to play? And, and do you guys get, get a bit of a buzz off that? Because it, it felt to me as if Cheltenham really didn't fancy taking you guys on. And, and in a way, Exeter, having watched what you did to them, I think they were shell-shocked. I think they went into the game a little bit scared of you. Is that, is that how you hope next season goes in League One? Yeah, I think as our managers probably said a couple of times, it might, it's not the prettiest football we play on the eye. We, we can get it down and play when we want to. But yeah, we've got Verdane Oliver up top, who I know for a fact I wouldn't want to play up against him. Um, and then Callum Morton, the legs that he has, the runs that he makes. And the last two games, everything Verdane sort of flicked on was just straight into Callum's path, straight into his chest. And to be honest, that's probably the best it's worked, the best I've seen it work throughout, throughout the season. So... Yeah, we can be direct, but we like to think we can mix it up when we can. Um, and yeah, like you say, we probably bullied bullied Cheltenham and Exeter in them last two games, and we gave a sort of a false impression of ourselves in that in that first leg because that was that wasn't us. We were a bit one dimensional and a bit too direct at times. I suppose even now, your manager's thoughts will be about the squad for next season. What happens in terms of the players and, and contracts? Are those conversations going to start straight away? I saw Nicky Adams, I think it was, during the celebrations. You had someone on the FaceTime. Uh, he was shouting out about potential pay rises and that kind of thing, all tongue-in-cheek. But I'm yeah. sure the, the, the chairman is going to have some important conversations in the next few days. Yeah, 100%. I think we've got quite a few players and quite a few important players that played in that final that are out of contract. But obviously through lockdown... The club weren't in a position to tell those players whether they're, whether they're going to get a contract or not. It's such a difficult situation because for the 1st of July now, normally they'd be starting a, a pre-season somewhere else. So they knew going into that that they will find out after the playoffs have done. Whether that started yet, I'm not too sure. I haven't spoken to a couple of the lads that are out of contract, but I'm sure in the, that's probably the chairman and all the managerial staff that are going over that now and um, pairing them discussions. Finally, Charlie, we're talking financial matters there. Um, I wonder, have any fines been dished out for, for dousing the gaffer in champagne at the end there? As you know, I've avoided that yet. I'm just going to try and keep quiet and uh, make sure nothing comes of it. But no, we, we, we have a good bit of banter with, with the fines, all the players. We, we have our own little fines and the managers have, and the managerial staff have all theirs as well. So it's a, we have a little court once a week and um, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure that could come up next season potentially. <laughs> well, hopefully you'll get let off. Listen, we were so impressed with with you over over the course of the playoffs, the final especially. Magnificent stuff. Thanks for coming on. We wish you the best for next season. Perfect. Thank you. Charlie Good, Northampton captain there. As for Exeter, Sam, disappointment at, at Wembley again. It's something that they're used to in the playoffs, but it's going to be a big task for, for a relatively inexperienced manager in Matty Taylor to, to pick them up off the floor after that, isn't it? It wasn't just that they lost the game, it was the way that they lost it. No, it was really desperate and he, he was brilliantly honest after the game, didn't pull any punches. I'm sure, in my experience, he probably left it post-match, um, but there'll be some very important conversations that he's going to have to have with a lot of out-of-contract players in the, in the next few days and weeks. And unfortunately, a few of them have probably kicked their last ball for, for Exeter, given how poor they were. But I just could not believe how, how deep Exeter were. It gave the, the onus on Oliver to back in, to get into their area and Northampton play for second balls and that's how at least a couple of the goals came. The other thing that was obvious to me, the lack of pace at uh, the top end of the pitch for Exeter. I know that his, his options were limited but he still had Lee Martin and, and Jose on the bench. I thought the difference was Morton's threat down the sides and in behind. He, he was the reason, I think, a huge reason as to why Northampton were so comfortable because they had such a live wire uh, that was causing Exeter's back three all manner of problems. So, yeah, it's going to be difficult for Exeter, but I imagine it's going to be a squad that needs refreshed. Uh, a few of the younger players will get another opportunity and let's hope they can do it automatically next year and they don't have to go to Wembley again. They must be sick of the sight of the North Circular. What about the uh, the Moxie red card, Sam? From from where you were, did you think it was a red straight away? And is that just a player letting what was happening on the pitch get to him and, and the frustration boil over? I don't know, really. There had obviously been a coming together, McCormack and Taylor, just previously, where the Exeter players probably felt it was a free kick and maybe worse for McCormack. I thought it was nothing. Watson took a couple of touches, was quite patient in releasing the pass, and Moxie just came in wildly. I'm, I'm not sure why he decided to do that at that stage of the game when Exeter were actually having their best spell of possession. They changed shape 
uh, to a 4-2-3-1. Collins was getting on the ball. He was showing real purpose in his passing. And they looked like they might be able to get back, get that goal back to set up the grandstand finish. So the timing was was bizarre. And when they went down to 10, it was over. Although I did notice Keith Curl still tactically left um, I think it was Harriman who just followed Randall Williams around for the for the last 20 minutes so just stamped out any threat that they may have on the counter-attack so game was up and, and Moxie unfortunately Exeter legend possibly that's going to be the end of his his second spell at the club it, it was the kind of attacker you see in pub football like you know when you, you, you're three or four nil down it's coming towards the end of the game you're just sick of the sight of the opposition and you just lose your head and, you just, and someone just comes in from behind ridiculously late and, and, and they get sent off sent straight to their car and, and off they go it was just one of those tackles. it was a heads gone moment wasn't it pure red mist I think from Moxie Alright so that's League 2 football done and dusted for the season let's get on to the championship for it was a busy old night on Tuesday This is the Totally Football League Show with Matt Davis-Adams. Championship headlines. Wigan have gone into administration and will face a 12-point deduction. The club, which were only taken over last month, have been struggling to manage their finances in the current climate and have been left with no alternative other than to take action to try and safeguard their future. Uh, There is some positive news, though. Zero positive COVID-19 tests across all three divisions, which is fantastic. Uh, some key results at either end of the table on Tuesday. Fulham back to winning ways. Luton holding leads. Brentford closing the gap on Billich and Bielsa's boys. And Barnsley also picking up a key three points in their fight for survival. Elsewhere, Fulham striker Alexander Mitrovic has been given a three-game ban following his elbow on Leeds defender Ben White at the weekend. And on Monday evening, we learn the horrible news that Derby defender Andre Wisdom has been stabbed in an unprovoked assault and robbery whilst visiting his family in Liverpool on Saturday. Wisdom not in a life-threatening condition. We'll hear more on that story shortly. So it's a bit confusing with the Wigan situation, but follow closely and we'll get through it together. Uh, The EFL have issued a statement saying that Wigan will be deducted 12 points, but these 12 points will only be deducted in these circumstances. If they get relegated this season by virtue of their performances, then Wigan will start life in League One on minus 12 points next season. But if they don't get relegated, then before the points for this season are made permanent, Wigan will have 12 deducted from their total. Uh, Got it. Uh, Adrian, you've got some strident opinions on this. Well, yeah, my first reaction, I haven't had time to really um, dwell on it, but my initial reaction is that the circumstances are pretty unique here, aren't they? I don't think they're going to be the only club going into administration in the coming months. We're in a pandemic and I just feel that that punishment should be should be held over potentially until next season or, or more discussions had because... It just feels really, really, really harsh on a Wigan team that, that, have, that have done brilliantly pre-lockdown and post. Their performances on the pitch are outstanding. And, and what really rankles with me is that investigations can be going on for six months, nine months, a year in regards to other indiscretions from clubs. In my opinion, you know, indiscretions that maybe they've voluntarily got, you know, partaken in with their decision-making, they can drag and drag and drag. Yet, yet for Wigan, it's there, there you go, bang, 12 points. And I know that the, the rules are in place for a reason, but we're in the midst of a pandemic. So it feels feels really harsh. I just hope that if the likes of Chef Wednesday, Derby, possibly Birmingham City are all being investigated, I just, I just hope that their punishments will, will fit into the framework of, of this season too, if indeed they are punished, because... Um, it's just been hanging hanging around far too long. To Tuesday night's games then, Adrian, what stood out for you most from, from those results? I, I guess Brentford cutting the gap on the top two at time of recording before Wednesday's game, but it looks like the momentum's very much with them at the moment. For sure, yeah. They're, they're applying pressure, aren't they? And West Bromwich Albion will be looking over their shoulders. I think that, that is only natural. Another clean sheet for Brentford, BMW, Back in business, it was, I think, 19 shots to five. Nine efforts on target from Brentford and just one from, from Reading. For an away game, that's that's outstanding. And, and Umbueno making an impact, obviously having recovered from coronavirus. So, yeah, the, the good news keeps on coming, doesn't it, for, for the Bees? That, that that was a standout. And, and also, I think we, we should definitely reference 
the week that Nathan Jones has had uh, at Luton Town. Gone back there, went went to Wales, his homeland. He was a former Cardiff player as a kid. I don't really like him at Swansea. And he went there and, and ground out a very impressive one niller and and led for much of the game at Ellen Road against Leeds. You know, eventually settling for, for a draw. A fantastic uh, week for him and a week that will give his players, I think, huge confidence in him that he is the man to, to guide them, not least because he changed formations. He went, I think it was 4 one 4 one at the Liberty Stadium, up at Leeds, five at the back, 5-3-2. And Harry Cornick, who who was uh, impressive in both games, actually came off the bench to, to score a great goal, I thought, on the, on the counter. So, yeah, brilliant week for, for the Hatters and for the Bees. Sam, been some incredible results for teams down the bottom uh, over the last few weeks. Nobody's going down without a fight, it seems. No, incredible, really, the form they're all in since we've come back. Had a little look at the bottom of the table from last season. Ipswich went down 31, Bolton 32, Rotherham 40. Already Luton Town have amassed 40 points this season, so it's going to be a hell of a total that sees some teams unfortunately relegated. Yeah, concur with what Clarkey said on Luton. Very much played on the counter and tried to nick something last night at Ellen Road. Barnsley, brilliant in beating Blackburn. If you haven't seen the Ludwig delivery for the uh, Connor Chaplin goal, go and see it. Um, they were on the pitch for two minutes before they combined for, for a wonderful goal. And obviously Charlton, seven points from nine. And um, Clarkey spoke about the amount of shots that Charlton had been facing when they were on a really poor run pre-lockdown. They'd had 66 shots uh, in three games that they'd been defeated in just prior to uh, coronavirus. They've only conceded 26 shots in the three games since uh, they've resumed. So whatever Lee Bowyer has done on the training ground defensively is working no end. And I would imagine, you know, his stock will get very high once more if they are to remain in the division and there'll be some some potential suitors in in the championship that will try and prize him away. Right, we've still got Wednesday's fixtures to play as we record. One of the teams in action that night are Derby County. Certainly not to everybody's taste, but unquestionably a championship football club. So we ought to spend some time talking about their recent good form. Earlier this week, I did just that as I caught up with the Athletics' Derby man in the know, Ryan Conway. Ryan, Derby have been one of the form teams since the restart. What's Philip Koku been doing in this sort of mid-season, pre-season? Whatever he's been doing on the training grounds clearly working. Yeah, and I wouldn't say since the restart because the two games prior to the restart, you know, or two games prior to lockdown, I should say, they were really good as well. They were in control against Blackburn, beat them 3-0. They blew Sheffield Wednesday away in the first half and coasted home to a 3-1 win. It was interesting, actually, speaking with Max Bird a couple of weeks ago. He shed some light on the training drills that some of the, you know, Koku and his coaching staff had, had asked them to do. Really tight groups of one and two touch passing and in little triangles. And, and he was saying at first that the team really struggled with it. Keeping the ball on the deck, not kicking it long, even if it's a, you know, 20-yard diagonal to someone, keeping it on the deck. And then he said just before lockdown... It, everything just just clicked for them, and I think that time that, that how long it's taken is a byproduct of Koku having exactly four weeks from his hiring to his first competitive game against Huddersfield, and his you know his squad was in was in Florida. So it, it's just taken a bit longer than than I think fans would have liked, but it looks like the the penny has finally dropped. It's, it's quite a turnaround from where Derby were at the end of 2019. Was there a real threat that Koku might lose his job at that point? Uh, no, I think this was... He was given a four-year deal for, for a reason. There were grumblings in, in the ground, and I think, understandably so, there was a run in November, December, where, where, where they were dreadful. They, they were really, really poor. He was never in any true danger of, of losing his job. There were, there were big, big gaps to, to plug in that squad, and since the turn of the year, you know, Wayne Rooney naturally gets a lot of the focus, but it, it is it does the rest of the squad a massive disservice to, to just put it solely on, on Wayne Rooney's shoulders. It's a good form at the moment, but we're heading to a key period now. We're speaking to you before the game against Preston on Wednesday. Uh, then it's Forest, who they've already lost to twice without scoring this season. West Brom, Brentford, Cardiff and Leeds. 
it's difficult to to kind of quantify what would be success from those games, isn't it? it? They are difficult fixtures, but at the same time, they offer Derby the opportunity to take points off teams who like them are looking to get promoted, whether it's automatically or through the playoffs. So if you if you're a glass half full kind of guy, this is an opportunity actually to cut the gap on the teams above them. Yeah, absolutely. And and I said before the restart, th- these games. As you've just said, these games are tough, but you kind of want that. You kind of want to be reeling those teams in as opposed to beating teams below you and hoping ones above you slip up. They, you know, this way, you know, Derby have put their playoffs now in their own hands, and that's all I think any fan, any player at the club could have asked for is that their destiny is now in their own hands. Beat the teams in front of you now, and you will go to the to the playoffs. Um, of course, much easier said than than done. I think the season, the playoff push will be defined in the week starting with with Forest because they've got Forest at home they then go to West Brom they then welcome Brentford all that in the space of of seven days I think they need seven out of nine points um, to stay within the the playoff hunt do I think they'll get them personally no I think that's kind of where they they wobble a, a little bit so we better speak about the weekend's game then. The big East Midlands derby, as it's supposed to be, it's a fixture which is always feisty, although maybe not quite as febrile these days as it was back in the kind of Billy Davis, Nigel Clough times. It's it's not going to be the same, is it? But it, it is still a, a fixture which means so much to, to both clubs, both sets of supporters, particularly with where they both are in the league so close to one another. Yeah, Absolutely. It wouldn't surprise me if it was like uh, anyone that watched the Bayern Munich Dortmund game, which even though it had no fans, you, you could almost feel that intensity off the off the TV screen, you know, as as these two heavyweights just just clashed. And I think that might be a similar case where there'll be no fans, but you can feel the intensity radiating, you know, sort of from from the field. This is a bit. This is a big game, not just in the context of Derby season, but um, I think I think Koku needs this as well. You mentioned the the two losses with without scoring. The first one, the three nil in the Carabao Cup, still to this day really sticks in the craw, as it were, of, of some Derby fans. They they thought he got his team selection horribly wrong. They thought that he didn't understand what the Derby was all about. Um, they were not happy with with that performance or or that game. The the one nil um, at the City Ground. I personally thought a draw would have been a fair result, but I mean Jaden Bogle puts a stray pass across his eighteen yard box and, and it's fired in the back of the net at the time, characteristic of the types of errors Derby were were, were making. The, the, that's a big, big game. I think Koku ne- needs that one. Generally, really positive mood around the club at the moment, but of course there there is this potential points deduction hanging over them. A- any news on, on that and, and when a verdict might be, might be delivered? Uh, my understanding is it's going to be this season. I think, I believe Sheffield Wednesday's case is, is being heard at the moment. And after that, Derby's is up. Whether whether there's a deduction or, or not, I, I think Derby are going to massively appeal it. The statement that they put out when the charge was given to them called the charge unlawful. It said that Derby will contest it in the strongest possible manner. So even once the sentence is handed down, it is not the end of it. <laughs> but of course, a, a points deduction is still a possibility. Derby have always contested that the EFL ratified their sale of Pride Park and they signed off on Derby's player amortisation policy. They have always stood by that those claims. So, yeah, it's, um, if they are punished, they will almost certainly appeal it. Finally, Ryan, awful news about, about Andre Wisdom and, and the attack on him. Any, any further updates on his condition as, as we speak on Tuesday? And, and also tell us about the fundraising efforts that, uh, that fans have started to, to show their support. Yeah, um, honestly, the, the, the fans have been... Absolutely magnificent. Um, Andre Wisdom, as I understand it, is doing better. He's he's a little shaken up, but he's fine. We'll obviously miss tomorrow, and we'll almost certainly miss um, Saturday. But I mean, come on, that you know that's football. It's it's just important that he is he is alive, healthy, and and doing well. So context doesn't doesn't really matter that he misses a couple of games, or even if he doesn't play again for the season. Um, yes, the fan effort, just absolutely magnificent effort from everyone. Mel Morris chipped in with £250 donation, which was which was nice of him. This started uh, about 10 at night, and within an hour, they'd raised £1,000. Just absolutely tremendous. They're going to get a big flag of, of Andre Wisdom, and they're hoping to get that in Pride Park. They've now raised over £3,000, and it's it's my understanding that 
um, Andre Wisdom's brother has, has asked that they donate what is left over from that to um, Deaf Derby FC, a local deaf team, and uh, a charity in, in Liverpool, which I believe deals with, with homelessness. Just, just outstanding, just absolutely brilliant from everyone involved. Ryan Conway, the Athletics' finest there. Uh, we mentioned the horrible run that Derby are about to embark on and try to quantify what would be considered success with that run of fixtures this month. Um, Sam, where do you think they're going to be come the end of the season? Do you, do you see them in the playoff places or are they just a little bit short of that? I think it's um, going to be fascinating to see with these teams still jostling for that final position. I think Cardiff have put themselves in a very strong uh, position in the way that they've they've started, but... Yeah, the Derby, I think, have been improving even prior to the break. I saw them at Queen's Park Rangers and very impressive. Shouldn't have been beaten on on that night. Wayne Rooney was probably the best player on the pitch, apart from one stray pass, which uh, ultimately ended in, in Rangers winner. But um, I think they've got as good a shot as any. I think you can cast aside my hope for Bristol City to um, find some form. I think it's going to be difficult for Swansea and Preston, so maybe... You're talking about Derby and Cardiff having the best form out of that bunch and it may be going down to the wire. I'd be a little bit concerned now with Tom Lawrence suspended. Um, It's happened too often this season. I think accumulation of yellow cards before, saw him miss games and now set to miss three. So that's going to be an issue. I think he's been improving in a number of different positions. I think he ended up front uh, the other day against Reading. So he's really grown in what's been, you know, as we all know, a, a pretty turbulent season for him or a very turbulent season. So if they can get over that hurdle and, and Sibley can continue in the, the same rich vein of form, then maybe they could sneak in there. But I'd go for Cardiff on their current form, the way that they've responded after the break. Right, last week we brought you the good news that Neil Warnock is back in management. This week, friend of the show Nick Miller got to speak with him about taking on his last, 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 last job. Uh, The problem is, though, Neil was driving at the time, so the audio quality wasn't brilliant. So instead, we bring you this reenactment of the conversation. Producer Abby is going to play the role of Nick. Nick probably asked, Have you been restless waiting for a job to come up? Neil replied, I don't think I get itchy for a job. I love being at home, if I'm honest. If it hadn't been for this Covid virus, I don't think I'd have come back, you know. I think we'd be in Italy now with dogs. End scene. Uh, To understand more on that, then head over to theathletic.com for the full story with Neil. And if you've not got your mitts on an Athletic subscription yet, then let me entice you with this offer. You can get yourself a 30-day free trial simply by going to theathletic.com slash league show, all one word. That's theathletic.com slash league show, all one word, for a free 30-day trial. Uh, Let's have a look at the weekend's games then. We've mentioned the upcoming East Midlands derby. Plenty of other big games to look at. Sam, you you mentioned Cardiff as your dark horses and Bristol City is having dropped off a cliff. Wouldn't you know it? They meet this weekend at Ashton Gate. Uh, Cardiff, as you say, been good since the restart, but, but they'll have been disappointed to have been held at home by Charlton on Tuesday. So they'll be looking to bounce back here. Yeah, I think we're going to see games like that. I don't think... The majority of the teams are going to put, you know, strong winning runs together. Maybe Brentford aside, just because of those fringe players we spoke of on last week's pod, the chaps from Oxford that came in have obviously really bolstered their squad. And Waymo is back fit now as well, and and obviously got his goal at Reading. So, yeah, I think Cardiff haven't got that strength in depth, so it's difficult to see them, you know, motoring as they have been in those last two games. And and Glatzel got injured last night. Has obviously been a big plus for. Neil Harris coming off the bench and getting goals. So um, that striker position, if he can really continue in in this vein of form, if he's fit, Glatzel, I can see Cardiff going to Bristol City and having joy. Uh, I think for Bristol City, uh, Afobi played wide left the other day in a front three. I think they need to try and get him centrally uh, with Naki Wells. That's their best chance for me of sneaking into the playoffs. And I just think it's a continuation for the... Bristol City supporters of what they felt towards Lee Johnson for the last year, 18 months, too many formations, too many changes in personnel. I saw this on Twitter that Lee Johnson has used 21 players in the last two games since the restart. Wolves have only used 20 in the Premier League all season. And I think that sums him up a little bit, his management. And they've been perennial playoff contenders the last few years. I believe if they don't make it this year that Bristol City will probably make a change. So 
now or never going into this game at the weekend. Obviously, they play Forest tonight, but huge that they get at least four points, you'd have to say, from this game, otherwise the season's done. So Bristol City in a bit of a slump at the moment. You'd say the same for Stoke Clarkie. They host Barnsley this weekend. Uh, that comes under the category of massive match, doesn't it? Definitely. It's the one that I've picked out. It's it's huge, contrasting form. Stoke City, absolutely appalling at the moment. Michael O'Neill didn't hold back with his post-match comments. Said the players should should hang their heads in shame. This after getting destroyed, really, by, by Wigan Athletic. Didn't look at all bothered, hungry. Didn't look fit, really. Uh, it was certainly treading water towards the end of that game. And they're going to come up against a Barnsley team that, that, that are playing really well. The bits I've seen of them, that the tempo looks very, very sharp. They've got they've got quality coming off the bench to to impact games. Gerhard Struber is is making some good tactical changes at the moment. It's a three four one two for them, but he can change it to to a back four with the diamond in front, just like that, and and the team respond very very well. They're, they're tight at the back right now, Barnsley. So you look at this game and it's high pressure as far as as far as both teams are concerned. But Barnsley look look far better equipped to cope with that pressure uh, than than Stoke do. I think it's a very very real danger now that Stoke will will get relegated. You just you just think it can't be to do with the managers. This this set of players, this group, this squad have, have seen off some good managers, haven't they? Gary Rowett, we've seen what he's doing at Millwall now. He couldn't get a tune out of them. Nathan Jones, we know he's we know he's decent. Couldn't get a tune out of them. And, and Michael O'Neill. You know, did, did wonders for for Northern Ireland, and he and 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 started off okay with them, but they've they've gone back into their old habits again at the moment, and uh, yeah, and it it feels to me as if they're they're in real danger now. Yeah, sticky situation for Stoke, no doubt. We'll see if they can get back to winning ways this weekend. Well, I don't know about you, listener, but I need some mathematical guidance in the form of fractions. So let's ask the show's principal sponsor, William Hill, in this instance, personified by producer Abby, to provide some of those now. The fractions will be converted to odds for the purposes of betting. Uh, Firstly, Abby, Derby to get into the top six, he asked, choking. I've got some good news for you, Matt. They've come in since last week when we discussed this. Uh, You can't actually uh, bet on Leeds, West Brom and Brentford getting top six. Uh, Fulham are the next best at one to 40. But for Derby, they are now six to one to get into the top six. But obviously, there is that points deduction potentially hanging over them. So we'll see what happens there. And the news gets even better for you, Matt, because come this weekend, Derby versus Nottingham Forest, Derby are the favourites to win that one at seven to five with Forest 21 to 10. Well, bookies can't always get it right. What about Bristol City Cardiff, the game Sam's picked out? Well, Cardiff are the favourites here, even though they are the away side, 13 to 10. If you fancy Bristol City getting their first win of the restart, they are 11 to 5. Uh, and what about struggling Stoke? What will you give me for them to beat Barnsley? Struggling Stoke are the favourites in this one, 5 to 4, Barnsley 12 to 5. Thank you, Abby. OK, gang, we're heading to a place we've not been to for a while next. League One, you there? Headlines in League One then. We'll start with some teams who are no longer technically in League One, but the season hasn't technically ended uh, because of them their playoffs. So we'll be kind. Sol Campbell and Southend no longer together after the two split on mutual terms. Here's hoping Sol gets a job not at a club in financial peril slash relegation strife next. And Ian Ebert is set to be named Bolton boss probably by the time you hear this. So that's good news for Bolton fans, less so for Barrow ones. No doubt they'll be wheeling out the next best manager. Good grief. So the League One playoffs are upon us and it's Barton versus Ainsworth, Jacket versus Robinson or Fleetwood v Wickham, Pompey v Oxford if you prefer. The first legs take place on Friday of this week with the returns on Monday and the final on the 13th of July. Bit of controversy here, as you may recall, what with Wickham's appearance in these playoffs thanks to PPG. You can go to our earlier show, Stick a Fork in Leagues 1 and 2 there, done for our thoughts on that. Instead, we bring you the man who eats stats, brackets and toast, close brackets for breakfast. He's quite possibly Wickham Wanderer's most famous fan, after Bill Turnbull, normally heard on the big show, old hop to Joe himself. It's Duncan Alexander. Duncan, how are you feeling ahead of Friday? Would, would Fleet would have been your preferred opponent over Pompey or Oxford? Mm, hello, Matt. Um, not sure. Fleetwood Wickham games have been pretty cagey in our short history of, of time together. Normally, sort of one-one or one-nil to 
to either team. So it's going to be pretty tight, which I guess is pretty classic for the uh, for the playoffs. But yeah, I mean, I possibly would have preferred Oxford just because of you know the local rivalry and stuff. But I guess we can we can always meet them in the final instead. What have you made of, of the season so far for Wickham? It, it, it's been kind of up and down, hasn't it, in terms of consistency and form? But we're looking OK again just before the pause. Yeah, there were a few clubs kind of saying, well, you know, it's a disgrace Wickham hopping back up into the into the top six because, you know, they were in free fall. But, but that's not really true. We we had a really bad spell over Christmas in the start of the year. But then, as you said, we, we kind of bounced back. I think we were getting, we like seventh or eighth in the form table when the when the season was suspended so I don't think there was any danger of us not being in the mix at the end of the season so I think it's you know obviously some people will have a problem with the fact uh, that we did move up into third but if you're going to do it points per game then that's how maths works essentially so Duncan we've just seen I would say quite an agricultural side in Northampton romp home in the league two playoffs Um, how do you see it going for Wickham in that they've got a clear game plan they can get it forward early and when they just focus on these few games I think aggression and togetherness Mm. without the crowd could really play into Wickham's hands yeah I agree I mean just to kind of reiterate your point about agriculturalness Northampton averaged 168 successful passes a game this season the only team to average fewer than that in the top four tiers are Wickham with 151 uh, we've got the lowest pass completion rate 56% which is basically you know one in two um, and possession uh, only Newcastle and Burnley a lower average possession than Wickham in the top four tiers but you know, there's no right or wrong way to play football. That it plays to Wickham's strengths. Um, you know, you look at the budget of the club, the the wage bill compared to the teams we're up against. You know, the, this is a, a successfully proven way for the club to play. And I think, like you say, you know, the the lack of game time recently does lend itself to to togetherness and to, to you know to a specific game plan. And I think that's something Wickham have definitely got. Yeah, no doubt that Gareth Ainsworth will come up with a, a plan, a very clear plan uh, and a solid shape. And, and that solid shape makes Wickham great front runners. And I always think that's important in the playoffs. I was looking at when they scored the opening goal. They've, they've won 15, drawn two and lost none. So so if you to score first at Fleetwood, that, that, that would be interesting. On Gareth, do you think that, that you guys have to go up to keep him? Because he, he's got to be a wanted man. He has been in the past. But he's been incredibly loyal to you guys. Do you think that that might that might stop if, if you were to to miss out this time? Possibly. Although I think the key thing more was the was the takeover during the season, um, which obviously steadied the club considerably. Um, and we've got you know sort of ambitions to reach the championship, uh, which obviously most clubs do. But I think you know this has come along sooner than than possibly anyone imagined. But um, you know the future of the club does look a lot more solid. You know, obviously taking into account the the fact that all clubs are you know being hit hard by the coronavirus. But you know he yeah like you say he probably could have gone to Millwall or, or Sunderland during the during the season, um, but has stayed loyal. And there is something. You know, he's built something pretty special at the club. I'm old enough to remember the Marcelo O'Neill years and, you know, this has matched that, I think, this era. And probably, I mean, if we if we do go up to the championship, it will have definitely surpassed it. And, you know, I've, I've been to the club a couple of times to training ground and, you know, I've heard and seen the loyalty and the team spirit and you know that's a, that's such a huge thing. And, and like you say, you know, in, in the playoffs, that's that's obviously going to be quite key as well. Um, Duncan, we always save the... Big, important question till last. Uh, so you, me, Sam and a couple of others from this parish were supposed to be going to an evening with Christopher Moltisanti and Bobby Bacala of the Sopranos last month before the Rona put that on pause. Begs the obvious question, if Gareth Ainsworth was a Sopranos character, which one would he be? Yeah, this is a, a key question, actually. Um, I've given it quite a lot of thought. I mean, possibly Silvio, because of you know the secret, um, or not so secret, uh, love and ability at music so there's an angle there possibly the character arc of Bobby Bacala in the sense that you know we almost went down to the to the National League um, and it looked bad but then you know sort of slowly bounced back maybe the maybe beating Torquay on that last day was the equivalent of the Pine Barons you know from then on it was progression <laughs> you know maybe a bit of Hesh in terms of tends to 
profit from other people's music rather than his own. Um, and then let's. I was thinking maybe at the end of the playoffs, it's going to be very much like Agent Harris towards the end of The Sopranos when he just, you know, banged his fist on the table and said, "We're going to win this thing." So maybe that's uh, that's an omen. Sam, can you better that? Silvio for me, great hair. Stayed working at the same club through various ups and downs, I thought. The bad of being in Silvio's case. Loyal. Everyone's mate. But I thought the most important thing, you know that when he loses it, he's going to lose it in that dressing room. So that's my reason. Well, yeah, let's hope none of the players get driven to a forest after the playoffs because that would be quite bleak. <laughs> All good answers. But the one we were actually looking for was Arti Buko. Uh, always looking for the next big thing, but never quite getting it. That's, that's Gareth Ainsworth. Well, that's a bit harsh. <laughs> uh, Duncan thanks for joining us today we'll get you, let you get back to your calculator thank you Duncan Alexander there Wickham fan stat man chairman slash boy uh, how about Fleetwood then will Joey Barton's assault on the playoffs be more successful than his and his and that time that he uh, what do you think Adrian who's the favourite for, for Wickham versus Fleetwood as, as Duncan's alluded to there it's been pretty tight between them during the regular season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has. Um, well, Fleetwood were in brilliant form before the pause, but but that really can't be considered as too much of a, a guide, can it? I think that Fleetwood proved that they've got they've got metal during the course of the season. That they had a particularly strong record, I felt, in tough games early on in 2020. Uh, they, they had a really awkward run and they managed to stay unbeaten throughout that and uh, I think that will, will give them a lot of confidence. They've also got options up front with Madden and Chid Evans, two really natural goal scorers. So, so I think over the course of the two legs, they will prevail actually over, over Wickham who who are a bit bit more one-dimensional, should we say, but, but have done brilliantly this year. Absolutely fantastic. But I can't help but feel they would have ended up in you know, eighth or ninth, really, that had the season actually played out its natural course. That looks a really tight one, as does the other game, Adrian. Portsmouth against Oxford both finished on 60 points, or when the season stopped, that's what they were on at least. I can't call this one. How about you? Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's very, very tricky. One or two things going on behind the scenes. I know that Christian Burgess, who I think has been one of their players of the season, he, he has agreed to join a club in Belgium, but, but will be available. So that's a bit of a... A weird situation. Um, you just wonder whether that will have an impact just somewhere down the line in terms of, of, of their preparations. And Pompey have just just a truly miserable record in the playoffs. And, and I, I, I do think that sometimes that can get into the heads of players and that some clubs are luckier than others when it comes to this, this time of the year. They've never won a playoff match. Three draws, three defeats for, for Portsmouth. And and I'll just look at Oxford and, and their goal options. And I, and I think that they're, um, yeah, they've got enough to win over two legs. It, it, you can make a case for Pompey, no question. But but for the reasons I've outlined, just would favour Oxford uh, and Oxford fleet with final. Yeah, Sam, I, I don't know if it's possible to have a good lockdown, but it certainly felt like Portsmouth had a difficult one with all those players testing positive for coronavirus. Uh, Oxford, meanwhile, got Jamie Mackey and Liam Kelly on short-term contract extensions so they can play in these playoffs. And and they'd won five on the spin before lockdown. Just wonder if there's a bit more of a feel-good factor about, about the club at Oxford than there is at Portsmouth at the moment. Possibly, but I think Kenny Jackett's record certainly in getting teams out of League One his experience as a manager in organising a team uh, maybe counteracts that against um, Carl Robinson who I'm not sure of his, his playoff history but I think you know anyone would you'd probably accuse anyone of lying if they said they didn't feel the winners of the playoffs was going to come from this tie that's certainly what I believe Oxford I think are the second best football inside in the division to Coventry Portsmouth have obviously had a ridiculously good home record. Very difficult to call, but I'll go for Portsmouth just purely because I can't say Oxford. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we know who will be meeting in the final uh, next time we meet and we will talk about those playoff semis on next week's show. So, Abby, give us the odds according to William Hill. Who's going to be at Wembley next? Well, they've got the home teams as the favourites for these upcoming matches. So let's look to the promotion odds. And they've got Portsmouth as favourites at 7-4, to four, followed by Oxford at 5-2. to two. Now, they both can't make it to the final. So we're looking at Fleetwood at 5-2 to two for the next favourites. And Wickham are the far out ones with 9-2. So if we're looking at who's going to Wembley, Portsmouth and Fleetwood. Thank you, Abby. 
Right, we're almost all said and done, but before we part company, a red mist descended upon the champ this past weekend, what with Mitro's elbow, Luton and Swansea's handbags and the most pathetic fight in the history of football between Matt Miazga and Tom Lawrence. It begs the question, Clarkey and Parkey, which was the best slash worst on-pitch punch-up that you saw. Adrian, you, you played at every level of the game. I'm guessing the, the lower down you go, the, the higher the quality of scrap. I was involved in brawls at every level of the game, I've got to say. And in each and every one of those those brawls, I legged it there, as you do, and <laughs> just jumped around pretending to be involved. Yeah, just, just saying, stop it. It's not worth it. Not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, has there ever been has there ever been a proper brawl? So yeah, no, I was involved in many many embarrassing ones. One instance that I was sort of centre stage, I got stamped on in a brawl against uh, Boston in the National League, and a guy that was very appropriately named uh, Dick uh, Rob Dick, I think <laughs> was his name, and he stamped on my on my shin in the bro- in, in a sort of melee, and I shoved him, and I didn't even shove him very hard, and he did the full roll over three four five times and, and i got a red card so so yeah that's that's the one where i was involved in um but most were pathetic just like the ones we saw at the weekend uh, in mitigation it's probably not the easiest life going around telling people your name's rob dick uh sam you often had the prefix big in front of your name as a player i'm guessing that means you're at the front of the queue when the brawling started no, I was the softest centre forward in the world. Um, much to the disdain of uh, many of my managers throughout my career. So, no, I was the same as Adrian, really. Um, kind of got to go back to my youth team reserve games, uh, reserve team days to think of anything worth shouting about. I remember playing at Charlton's brilliantly named Sparrow Lane, which I've always enjoyed, training ground. And there'd been a set two just prior to the halftime whistle. We all went into the changing rooms and I heard it kicking off. So we all ran out there only to be met by the seven foot tall, seven foot wide figure of Danny Shitu. And we <laughs> all just ran back into the dressing room in hysterics uh, en masse and just laughed. So that they won just purely by the sight of Big Dan. Oh, fabulous. Just remember that, uh, Mr. Miazga and, and Mr. Lawrence, if you bump into to Danny in a corridor, it might be you shitooing yourselves rather than the other way around. <laughs> Um, that's it for this week thanks for your company remember do as we say not as we did back when we were footballers until next time see you soon you've been listening to the Totally Football League show a Muddy Knees Media production for sales and advertising please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter and make sure you check out our brand new website too thetotallyfootballshow.com Muddy Knees Media.